Lost and Sound is proudly sponsored by Audio-Technica. Audio-Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio-quality yet affordable products because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. And I'm speaking to you right now wearing their M50X headphones. They're for the studio. They're for every day. I speak to all my guests wearing them. But whatever way you like to wear headphones, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Welcome to Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you now from, where it's sort of tied between being quite sunny and a little bit rainy. And I'm going to try and do this intro in one take before I either get sunburn or my equipment gets rained on too much um but yeah thanks thanks for listening in uh this is the show where each episode i have conversations with the innovators the outsiders the mavericks the artists that do their own thing and we talk about music creativity life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make previous guests have included peaches suzanne chiani jim o'rourke julie gonzalez leticia sadie ghost poet cozy funny tootie graham coxon sleaford mods nightmares on wax and first and more and my book coming to Berlin is available in all good bookshops and via the publisher's website Velocity Press and I've also just launched a Substack too um, which is sort of for the podcast but will also feature has already started to feature bits of writing too Um, if you like my words if you like words about music and thoughts about creativity and you haven't already give it a subscribe if that interests you if not yeah there's plenty of other things going on in the world anyway isn't there but yes so today this is probably the episode that straddles the widest amount of the globe um i'm in berlin one of my guests is in melbourne australia and another one of my guests is in mexico i I think she said about 60 kilometers away from mexico city mick harvey and amanda acedivo it's, this is an episode about collaboration, about duets. It's about one of the founding members of, of a hugely influential, not just couple of groups, but movement of how we hear music now, um, passing the baton on and opening up and collaborating with a complete newcomer. Um, so I was really excited to talk about this. Mick Harvey, musician, producer singer-songwriter, composer, arranger, and record producer, founding member of the birthday party of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, of Crime and the City Solution. Solo, he's recorded everything from two albums of Serge Gamsberg covers to being a long-time collaborator with PJ Harvey. Um, and this is Mexican artist Amanda Acetivo's 
first project, how they came together to do it, um, they're going to talk about. And, the, you know, this is really interesting. I'm, I got really interested in this because it, it's, it's um, well, this is a fun interview. Um, some interviews are very formal. Others feel like you're kind of just gate crashing in. Um, like, like a kind of just a bit of a sort of two friends having a bit of a band together. And this is kind of like a bit of that, really. Um, the album they've made together, Phantasmagoria in Blue, is a collection of duets. It's moody, it's dreamlike, it features new material and reworkings of unexpected selections like Love is a Battlefield. I think I've managed to do all of that introduction. I hope I haven't got sunburn or, and I've got a bit rained on, and this is what happened. Nice to see you. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm okay. Yep. Hello, Amanda. Hello. Hi. Hi, Luke. Hi. Hi Amanda. Nice Hi, to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, um, uh, have you been up for long? Me? Mm. Uh, not much. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm just still awake. Uh, right. So <laughs> this is probably the interview I've done where it's kind of covered the most amount of the planet in one yep. interview. Really, we've got three <laughs> continents going three on. Continents. Right yes, now. yeah, yeah. It's uh, and uh, big time, yeah, time gaps. It's been complicated. We've uh, had to go for this time space with all the interviews because it's um, it's the yeah. only way to do it. If it's any earlier, then Amanda's still asleep, and if it's any later, I'm not. I'm a late night person, but uh, doing an interview at two thirty in the morning is not a great idea. <laughs> and I'm kind of a, sort of slam right, but right. In the yeah, yeah. Well, you you get the you get the kind of comfort comfort late afternoon zone. I do. Or something like that. Although I, I have really gone past the time of day for a coffee. So I mean, we're all at oh, different co- really? coffee times of the day, I guess, aren't we? Right. Yeah. I, I could do the last one at four thirty or something. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what no, about because I stay awake till three anyway? So yeah, it's cold here too. Cold, and you're in Melbourne. Yeah, it's winter. It's, um... uh, it's it's very warm here. So right, and Amanda, where whereabouts? So you're you're where in Mexico are you? It's a it's a town called San Luis Potosi. It's like six hours away from the capital. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a small city. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. And um, so how did you both first meet then, you know, being in such different time zones and different parts of the planet? How 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 did your stories kind of initially come together? Uh, through the internet. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the modern way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I was really a very involved fan online. Like I was just constantly commenting stuff and, you know, like a young being person. Ex- yeah, like a, a young person would do very excited person. about everything. And I think uh, the, the way he realized I existed, I'm not sure, was because I posted some drawings of, of him or something like that. And he probably saw them. And he uh, kind of contacted sure. me to say, thanks um, for that. You're, you're not sure. I, I, well, that's how I felt you. No, yeah. I think someone, um, pointed <laughs> no. Out some, some, someone pointed out some site that you were kind of, you know, things that you were post. Someone uh, uh, drew my oh, attention okay. to a post that you'd made, and I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that's nice. The, yeah. But, you know. I, I, I guess... <laughs> so, but I was really, I, I was not aware that he would notice any of the things I w- was doing as any fan would do, will just post because you are very excited about it and what you want to share with someone, but you never imagine that 
the artist is going to see it. <laughs> so well, I, I you see some of those. You do see some of those things. But the, like I said, like if if people draw uh, like um draw your attention to them, I think um maybe it was even I, I don't think it was JP and Lindell actually, but it could have been someone like that. Yeah. Because you were communicating with them already, weren't you? Which Just I didn't Lindell. know. And then later, like so, I, I work with JP Shiloh a lot. And I'm with Lindell a bit too. She's a video maker. And um, and once once I did start communicating with Amanda, I discovered she'd been communicating with them for ages anyway. Mm. So <laughs> it's like um, I'm not quite sure exactly who drew my attention to something you had posted, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so we uh, cont- he contacted me through internet, and I was really like shocked that he would even talk to me. And then he asked me if I was going to the show in Mexico because he was going to play with PJ Harvey so we met that time and we kept in touch but not very often just like sometimes he would just share something with me or I will say how are you and what's what's going on (laughs) but uh, in the pandemic we started communicating more and you know just because we had a lot of time yeah and everybody had time yeah so and I was a bit and not knowing what to do so I started asking him for advice about art and all that stuff and you know eventually he just offered like yeah you can ask for anything or you can I think I'd sent you some uh some cds and stuff that you didn't have or some records that you didn't have and um that's true so I I I didn't really just say I'll send you anything if you you know I I, I sort of meant along those lines is there anything like that that you'd like I'll I'll I can try to send it to you or just just ask and I'll see if I can yeah. send it to you. And then yeah. Amanda asked if we could do a song together. Mm. <laughs> which I think Fortune Favours was Bold. Which, oh, yes, that's right. It does. That's right. Well, and as 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 it happens, that's exactly what's happened. Fortune, isn't it Fortune Favours the Brave? Could be either. I think you're um, right. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she was very bold yeah. and put her stuck her neck out, and it was like, um, and I was a bit wary because it was like, um, as I described, even in a in uh, an interview we did together, it's just like uh, it's it's kind of stepping into a different area of communication. Mm-hmm. So I was yeah. a little wary about it because. Um, you know the the main difficulty with those sorts of things is if you're in the situation that you know Sean Puff Daddy was in when when um when Joaquin Phoenix came in with his rap tape and he had mm-hmm. and it, if you know that I remember because it was to do with that film shoot. wasn't it is in that is in that film yeah yeah it was mm. in the film he was pretending to be a, a psych like he'd gone off the rails and he'd done this rap demo and he took it to Sean Puff Daddy uh, it's a great scene actually and Puff Daddy's just sitting there. Going, listening to the demo, going, <laughs> and then in the end, he, it's, it's well, well, I don't know. It just sounded, okay, it sounded like rap to me. It all sounded, you know, I can't. <laughs> so I didn't really mean. I thought it sounded pretty good actually, but it was, it was kind of pretty edgy and weird, I guess. And at the end, he just kind of goes, "You're not ready to work with me." <laughs> mm, I remember. So, again, that. I remember so that, the yeah. problem was such a great comeback. For him. And that's the kind of situation. It's just like then I'm, I do something with Amanda, and I hear the thing, and it's like, yeah, but you know, this is just like, yeah, yeah. like that. So you just have to what people expect from that sort of stuff. You just don't know. So I don't. Yeah. Maybe I didn't feel like I knew you quite well enough then to be totally. I mean, I was already quite 
trusting you because I, I got a very good vibe from you and felt that it was all felt really kind of good and respectful and great and stuff like that. So then you really kind of um, pushed the door open there. I was a little bit like, oh, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> is this but, okay? <laughs> but uh, anyway. Three years passed before I asked for anything like that. I mean, since we three met years, to three that years. point, mm-hmm. around three years back. Should have been enough. Should I have been enough time. Yeah, should have been enough. Uh, and but it was <laughs> like uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mean like something that would be public or in a post anyway. But anyway, I, I just wanted something like you know because we were friends and he's my favorite artist or something like that. So I wanted like I don't know. He's he's in the other side of the world. We cannot really hang out in person or anything so i wanted something we could do together to interact and like a mm-hmm. treasure or something that was mine that no one else had so that's what was my idea actually i even told him like you can just record it with your phone just i want something personal and mm. that's, that's i didn't imagine it would become an album i just <laughs> <laughs> suggested yeah. it like that of course I, i'm not going to just record something with my phone. So, exactly. um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know. And anyway, I just said to Amanda, well, look, she, she was working doing these kinds of things online with a couple of other people, you know, long, long distance, which I didn't even know. I just mm. thought she must be working with them in Mexico because I'm not used to this sort of thing. She said, oh, yeah, I'm working with these couple of people, this person I do some collaborations with and this person. And it was all long distance. Like one of them mm. was in Germany and one of them was in, you know, Siberia or something. And, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Some somewhere else that completely Iran unimaginable <laughs> Iran actually it was Iran yeah so um <laughs> uh, so anyway I said why don't you do something with this person come prepare a, a basic thing and send that to me so that I don't have to do the initial thing and then I can just sing on it or something or or play some instruments or whatever but anyway it sounded very nice it was very nice. It sounded beautiful what Amanda did. And I knew that she was a nice singer because I'd heard a couple of her things that she'd just done quite in a, quite an amateur, simple way that, that she'd put online and stuff. And so I knew she was a good singer. And um, and then the thing arrived and uh, worked on it and really enjoyed it. So it um, uh, just kind of progressed from there and little by little, you know, everybody had a lot of time on their hands unexpectedly and, um over a number of months, there were a few more bits and pieces started happening and we were exchanging more things and it was uh, just turned into something. That's amazing. And so was there a lot of, so quite a big part of the sort of song formation was done by passing stuff backwards and forwards between yeah. each other during yeah. that weird mm-hmm. time that always already seems yeah. like a very weird different era now. Um, yeah. Yes. So and people are pretty bored with that, you know, the pandemic things and responses. You know, the, uh, responses depend. And I suppose there's still a lot of projects coming out that that uh, formed or you know, kind of um, what would you say were cooked up during that time. Or and this is this is actually one of those, but it's not really um, the subject matter is quite. Uh, Definitely not kind of, it's not referencing things to do with with that situation. It's kind of looking mm. at it. And I suppose partly because, you know, we became, we, we were kind of came to have quite a strong connection through all the stuff we were doing. I suppose a lot of the songs we were choosing actually relate to that kind of idea of separation. And mm. I mean, I suppose that's that was part of the pandemic, it wasn't people being separated, but um uh, no, I'd say that it's actually songs about people being together, isn't it, and having difficulty and all that kind of communication, how people are communicating and um, the complexities of 
of interrelationships and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> facing all those tricky things that life throws at you, but not the pandemic. But not the pandemic, no, no. I think it, I think it's, it's not that clear. tricky thing. Yeah, I think ultimately the pandemic was now just, you know, there's so many projects that came out of it. And again, like you say, it's got nothing to do with the pandemic, but it acted as like a really galvanizing force for people kind mm-hmm. of coming together as well, you know. In some ways. Well, then I brought forth a lot of interesting things, actually, because a lot of you know, people had to work in different ways and, and find different meth- methodologies and stuff. So it's been, you know, it's been really interesting. And there's things that people have learned that, that they're utilising now and continuing to do. And the way that we, sorry, Amanda, you wanted to say something. I'll, I'll remember yes, that so, thought. Sorry, sorry. For me, it was a bit also like, uh, you know, if we were not in the pandemic, I would be busy with school or something else. And also, I think I would have never dared to ask something like that before. It was just like, it's the end of the world. Like, yeah. I, I mean, for me, for me, it felt like, oh, it, yeah. it, 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 it's something that uh, it's unpredictable. And at least I should use this time to do something great. Like, uh, I would not, I mean, I would not dare to come with something like that because I'm very shy, actually. So I was like, oh, I mean, the world, it's already crazy we might as well do something might as well yeah this world's <laughs> crazy yeah yeah so let's, um, let's try to do something completely different than insane <laughs> let's see what how it yeah goes. and some of the things but i was yeah and what i was saying was that some of the things that like the sharing of files and the working at mm-hmm. uh, remotely from other people you're collaborating with was all, has already been happening for a long time actually mm-hmm. yeah. so it just became more a, a common way to work as opposed to um uh, a way that one could get around the difficulty of having being you know, having remote situations. It was actually became a more normal thing to be doing, and um, it's very much part of what people do these days. That you know, there's a lot of sharing yeah. of files and that sort of thing, and just working on stuff. And you send someone your stuff, and then they send back their thing. And I wasn't really used to doing that. I'd done it a little bit, but. Um, it was quite odd, you know. We we really uh, uh, most of the songs began that way, and then eventually we just started doing more and more, and it just sort of snowballed. Mm. It's interesting, actually, because you mentioned Puff Daddy earlier on, and it also <laughs> brings me back to Puff Daddy again because I'm not sure if it was the first, but one of the first sort of songs song sharing stories I heard was: Do you remember he did like a very strange version of a song with Jimmy Page? Like where I think Jimmy Page just came and did the Kashmir riff, uh, and that All was right. like that was one of the first sort of uh, you oh, know I might have missed that. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think he missed much really, to be honest. But, oh, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I find that when I look at those things and I go, "What's going on with that?" Uh, that there might maybe there's something there, and then I go and have a good look at it. And I go, "No, there's nothing really there." Yeah. So, um, <laughs> not for me anyway. Um, <laughs> Then it's I'm not just talking about hip hop and rap artists and you know, I'm talking about Taylor Swift and people like that too. Okay. Right. Then I go and listen to a couple of songs and I'm like, no, I don't think I'm really missing anything much here. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Amanda? Do you have a sort of uh, a propensity for like sort of chart bangers at all? Uh, sorry, <laughs> chart you, you... bangers. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like chart, no, no. like ma- mainstream, mainstream. No, yeah, no, 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 not really. Um, I mean, no, I, there are a few things that I I mm. am okay with, but it, mostly I really like 
obscure moments. Well, is Lana Del Rey, is she pretty, is she kind uh, of, or is she more well, like? The, she is one of the most mainstream artists I like, but I think yeah. she has really strong influences and like she, mm-hmm. her writing is really interesting. So I think she's a bit like in another zone from all the other ones. <laughs> um, yeah. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't really sound like the other things like Beyonce yeah. or something. And Beyonce yeah. is uh, one of the good ones. So, um, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, I like, well, I I like Beyonce. I like watching Beyonce videos on uh, on, on airplanes. <laughs> How There's come? always, almost always, a, oh, because they're really good. Mm. Just, um, you know, her, it's her latest live tour video and you kind of go, oh, check that out. And it always starts with crazy and love and it's always absolutely, completely mad and out of control mm. and quite impressive, actually. It's sort of in another zone. It's like I don't think I'm actually working in that industry. You know? <laughs> it's like that's I'm I'm not actually doing that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, you know, it's another me, thing altogether. And me, she's me, she's very good. She's really good. Uh, whereas me, I think Kanye and and you know Puff Daddy and stuff, I think they're pretty crap. So, but that's <laughs> just me yes, complains yes. because I have a Coldplay poster there in my room, but it's it's a gift from my dad. No, no, but you say like uh, people will think you like you know all that stuff, but it's like uh, my my dad thought I liked them, so he gave me that, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's from from your dad as well, and I also think it's really important. I I, I'll slag off music, but I also think it's really important not to judge people for their music taste as well. No, no, no. And I also I also have this theory that everyone likes one Coldplay song. You know, well, yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter how cool you think you are, you everyone likes one Coldplay well, song. Yeah, I, I mean, I know them, and I've met them a couple of a few times, and I know Chris yeah. a bit, and I saw so I really shouldn't say anything bad about them. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, and they're very good at what it, they do. That's mm. all. I yeah, no, I, I would say I, that, I, and I always appreciate that if people are good. At what I do they like do. one mm. song because actually it was like my, that, that's why my dad thought uh, I liked them because we when I was really little he played it and we would say oh it's oh. our song like. I think it was that the, that it's fix you. No, no, it was not fix you. Uh, I think he. Uh, I, I forgot about it. The one with the robot in the video. I don't know, but I do. I think yeah. some, there's some of yeah. There's a couple of early ones, but that's really di- good. Mm-hmm. Definitely, but digressing. I mean, like it's it's funny we're sort of digressing on this, but like uh, with with the selection of songs on the album as well. They, there's some really interesting stuff you've done, like sort of sometimes recontextualizing songs completely. Like I mean, primarily, you know, if we're talking about like the connection between that, like love is a battlefield. You know, it was just it's almost unrecognizable. But then I, I was listening to it, you know without looking at the track listing and then I was going that's love is a battlefield isn't it <laughs> and um what what how, how did you sort of choose were you sort of suggesting songs to each other or were you what was the kind of process for coming up with the selections that you, you picked the uh, basically yes we did su- sort of suggest songs mm. for each other yeah from each other and I think the ratio was about two-thirds Amanda and one-third me and mm. um <laughs> Love is a Battlefield came from um, Someone else. Uh, quite an unusual source, actually. It was mm. from sort of from left field and obviously in a number of ways, but it kind of came from a friend who had actually asked me to do a version for a different project entirely and I'd mm. done, prepared a kind of country version as a duet and then realised that they couldn't use it because they weren't allowed to. They, that was just going to cost them a lot of money to get the licence and mm. so then... 
I've sort of brought it to this project. But most of the things came from songs that we were, um, you know, were like a strong personal connection mm. that we presented to the project. And I think Amanda did most of the presenting. Mm. <laughs> and, and the voices yeah. fit so well together as well. Was it always quite... Was it apparent from quite early on that it was going to be an album of duos, or or did that sort of develop as it? Went well, I think on? that was the idea. So the mm-hmm. first few, the first couple of things were duets, were they? Uh, it was the first yeah, song that we, that's not on the album that's still yeah. a, Amanda's personal property. Um, and <laughs> what was the next one? We the next one was Indian Summer and then Creators. So Indian Summer was already a duet, and Cre- Creators of Rain was the one after that, really. Yes. So they because, were those they were all duets. So it sort of yeah. started as a, an idea, just as the exchange was obviously we'd do duets, and then uh, we just started discussing more songs that we were interested in and whether they could be adapted that way or how, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of them mm-hmm. were duets, but most of them weren't, I think, after that. We sort of yeah. turned them into duets. And so there were some songs that were, were brought up that we couldn't actually really do because they we, they didn't you know, make sense as duets, right? So, um, uh, but you know, it's surprising how many songs kind of can be transformed into that when you just reshape them a bit and mm. look at it as a dialogue instead of a statement. Mm. Yeah, because we really wanted songs to be a dialogue, and if there was a song that we really liked, but it didn't, if, if we separated as a duet, duet, and it was not saying anything and it would not make sense between what he was saying and I was saying so we would not add it it started mm. being very ed- evident that it, we wanted to sort of t- tell a story through the songs or mm. just make statements like you said so that that was uh, be- before we just started picking duets but after we realized the sort of the style we had and the sort of theme and idea we started picking songs that were not duets but we could transform into part of the story we were trying to tell or something like that. <laughs> yeah and, and there's such a atmosphere to the recordings as well you know it's it's very the kind of consistent atmosphere is sort of very cinematic very dreamlike as well and is are there stuff that you individually or collectively do when you go into a session to kind of get the atmosphere right whatever that atmosphere might be like you know do you do like you know like i know obviously brian Eno has his kind of like cards and stuff like that but i was wondering if, if there was anything <laughs> either of you either, either of you um, do to sort of like you know lay down a kind of foundation for what happens next uh yeah i mean we've discussed yeah. this a few times and basically it would go something like um we'd be discussing a particular song and then I'd say, well, how, what am I going to do with that musically? Uh, where, where do I start with that? And Amanda would say. Oh, just Amanda. make it slow and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> slow and, and depressing go, and it will be fine. And I'd say, <laughs> yeah. okay, I can do that. And then that would be my guidance into how to approach the music. <laughs> and it seemed to work. I mean, you know, obviously it's not all depressing, in, in a, but to to kind of um, allow that um, atmosphere to pervade the thing was, um, was quite liberating in a weird way uh, because I didn't have to... I could just make, I could, yeah, I could just go into constructing the music where that uh, that does bring with it a certain sort of atmosphere and, and a, a drama in a way when there's a, 
that kind of level of emotional uh, permission given to mm. just kind of go there. So I was allowed to be, you know, emotional and de- depressive with it and allow that to just to breathe. So um, which all, uh, ironically gives gives quite a bit of life to the things that are happening because you can actually um, or a lot of energy in a um, – it may it may seem like negative energy. It's not really negative energy. It's like a insightful. Um, <laughs> inside, it's just it's got a it's got a power to it. The energy yeah. that you're putting into it when it's like there that's that's people can relate to or something. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a good instruction anyway. That was our basic uh, starting point for most of this, almost everything. And we had all the songs. Oh. I you know I noticed like you know I already mentioned the storytelling, but. Uh, all had some surrealistic vibes. So I thought, oh, maybe this, the, the album could be like a fairy tale told through songs. So I started, when we started discussing the order of the songs, I just wanted it to be some sort of journey, like start with mm. the ones that were like more innocent and become darker as it goes. And then all this, you know, like first everything is happy and turns sad and, you know, like all mm. this journey from the characters to go to the, a certain point because it goes like, happy happy sad 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 and at the end is like the how it resolves a bit like both bittersweet sort of feeling so it's right. I think it, that was my idea when i suggested the order of the songs and then mick also had suggestions about that but mm. yeah something like that there, there are technical things sometimes with how you you sequence an album yeah as well which were of concern to me and stuff but anyway that was mostly conceptually amanda's and that was just going to say that it was surprising the number of times that i asked the same question again and amanda gave the same answer <laughs> about how to approach the song it sort of became a bit of a joke Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just ask again. I go, "What am I going to do with this song?" It's be like the same thing. So. I, th- I think it started with it started with Love is a Battlefield because he did a mm-hmm. country version first, and it was really happy. And I was like, oh, "No, please do that slow and depressing." And then we we just said that every time he'd do a new song. Yeah, <laughs> and that must be quite nice to sort of be given permission to explore slow and depressing as well, isn't it? Well, yeah, because- sure. Because it's not people don't normally want you to be doing that. Mm. A lot of people I've worked with don't mind that, mm. but you know, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised. Not that common. This, this is my first project, and I always wanted to do slow and depressing stuff. But then when I started sharing my ideas with other people, like besides me, they were like, "Oh, that's quite sad or quite depressing." And it's like, "Oh, like it's a bit strange that you are doing that." And I was like, "Oh, I thought this was the normal way to do." This. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like my friends or family is like, "Oh, it's it's a bit depressing," and it's like, "Yeah, that's the point." <laughs> yeah. well, what, what did what did your friend say? You know, your music is hard to like or something. Yeah, like that. I my friend said, like, Spanish, uh, yeah, so I don't know what she really, really said. Yes, yeah, so, something like that, you know, like, uh, oh, you're, you're making music that it's a bit hard to connect with or like, or something like mm. that. And I was like, so, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> so I, I what, what can we goal. do about it? <laughs> and Amanda, did you always gravitate towards, um, like we'd say, slow and depressing music or, or like the, the work, mix work and, you know, what was, what was your sort of like foundation when you were discovering music in Mexico? What were the kind of things that you sort of found for yourself? Uh, when I was really little, my, my dad would collect CDs and music and vinyls and everything. So he started sharing things with me that probably were not the same things young people were listening to. 
I was really impressed when he sh showed me people like Charles Aznavour or people like that, mm. that he was really into. And it's like, uh, I mean, all that drama and the performative things. But then I realized like, uh, you know, his music also, he really liked 80s stuff and I really like it too, but it was not like my personal thing. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, I don't remember who, who was the really slow and depressing first one I found. I think it was with the Baptists actually, because mm. one of the artists I used to really like who made a cover of the bad seats and then i relate like oh i i've heard this song before and i heard the original one and it's like oh it's a nick cave and the bad seats song mm. and when i found the bad seats then i started uh investigating every band member's career like what mick did and then i realized he did covers of lee hazel with tim buckley and, and i then mm. i started going to those artists as well basically so she's a stalker She's yeah, basically I'm a stalker, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they they, they like uh, Lee Hazel, well, then I won't investigate this. And then I ended up with Leonard Cohen, Serge Gainsbourg, and, mm. uh, you know, the all great, these. The great thing about young people today, though, is that they just go down these rabbit holes and they go and listen to everything. So by the time Amanda's come back to me from that starting point, she's picked up all this other stuff on the way that I've never heard of <laughs> that's associated with this sort of thing that she's gone in you know like researching basically effectively mm, yeah. i mean listen obviously you're listening to it but you uh, and i remember when i was younger i used to do, uh, find a lot more time to kind of research and dig mm. things out and look for stuff and uh, the, gradually that kind of got, you, you stop doing that as much you i think over time um i mean i'm still doing it but it's mm. uh, it's not as maniacal and um so yeah, she brought back to the project things that I've never I've never heard of, like Jackson C. Frank and so you know, which I probably should have heard fire. of, but I yeah. just hadn't because I'm just not really on that search anymore. Sibylla Bayer and you know yeah. stuff like that. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention very important that also influences that I had that are not related to the bad seeds mm. were that like there are some uh, like troubadours in Spanish from the Spanish speaking world that are also very poetic and care about mm. the lyrics and sound a lot. And this artist also had a similar vibe to the, you know, Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan, mm. these people like Luis Eduardo Alte and uh, Joaquin Sabina, Silvio Rodriguez, that, that are in, in Spanish-speaking world, they, they are very well-known, but they are like more cult cultural, you know, like thing. And that, that also, yeah, yeah. Mm. So that gave me also like the need to search for similar things in in other languages because they were really poetic and then i found all the other things and i we also did covers of two of their songs for the album or interpretations of their songs yeah. and translations so those are artists that Mick didn't know and i brought like i, I yeah I think well i didn't if, know them no mm -hmm. yeah if if we translated this into english people who like you know songwriters like Leonard Cohen will appreciate this sort of songwriting. So I would love to translate this so more people could, you know, understand their lyrics or connect with their songs. So yeah, we did two translations of them. <laughs> That's really lovely. So there's this kind of real thing like um, Mick, you've been like a kind of a, a, a gatekeeper or a gate door opener, I'd prefer to a say. Door, yeah, yeah. yeah. Door yeah I just keep, leave Amanda. the door open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Amanda, you in turn are, are being, you know, with, with the Spanish music you're talking about being a, a gate door opener as well. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's always, yeah, it's always interesting to hear the, those, you know, I am still really interested to hear new stuff, new things. There's so much 
so many things still to find out there. Never stops. Yeah, of course. And Mick, you were saying as well that, you know, just then that uh, about things you listen to and things that you don't. And when when you were starting out, I'm not sure what the scene was like in terms of, I know like in some places, the kind of like that new wave punk kind of era was sort of very hardcore on what you were allowed to listen to and what you weren't. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, how was that for you? Uh, theoretically, that was the case. I mean, there are all the things, you know, like the, there was the traditional uh, thing that you know you you threw out your record collection or something you mm. know after you heard the Sex Pistols or something like that. But I don't think people really did that. I think they um they threw out some things maybe, but I think they held on to you know their old Iggy Pop records and 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 David Bowie stuff and probably a bit of the Doors and you know and a few a few other things too really. And yeah. they didn't really throw them all because you find that people. Uh, all all those people had very similar influences, actually. And I remember, you know, that was meant to be uh, what you did. You were meant to kind of clear out the cupboard and so forth. But actually, I remember being in a house, living in an apartment with Roland and Genevieve back in, like, 78, and we were just playing Jacques Brel and um, Frankie Lane records and... You know, I just we were interested in everything. Actually, is the reality. I think what you threw out was your ponderous rock and roll, ponderous rock and roll section of your, yeah, yeah, the traditional rock and roll section of your record collection, <laughs> and um, lots of other stuff was still very much admissible. And you know, like yeah. Totally. Eric Sarty, I remember just listening, you know. Right? So, I mean, it's not like we weren't just listening to New Wave. And, and the, the Birthday Party were, were kind of one of those, those bands I always associate with bringing in a lot of influences as well. You know, you could, there was a well, lot that's of interesting. Very literate, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I Well, I, I, I'm often reminded when people sort of uh, mention I mean, there is a, a there's a birthday party documentary premiering in four days in at the Melbourne Film Festival. I just thought I'd mention that in passing. But I remember the show we did at the Hacienda, which was on that video thing, which is pretty kind of iffy quality, a lot of it. But um, so it's all, it's I think it's on the recording mm. to a Nick dedicated, I think Karen Carpenter had just died that week. And Nick uh, dedicates the show to Karen Carpenter, mm. at a you know birthday party show, and a lot of the audience just laugh. Mm. But Nick was one hundred percent serious. So they thought he, he was being like ironic or something. Yeah, yeah, like all mm. just being insulting or rude or you know like mm. it was a good joke. But Nick loved Karen Carpenter, absolutely mm. adored her. So. Um, we all just had to stand there thinking, you know, yeah, we knew that he meant it, but it was just uh, just such a weird juxtaposition. You couldn't really, it's just like, oh, well, what are you going to do, you know? Mm. You just, I think most musicians kind of carry a, a large, large baskets of influence mm. <laughs> of stuff that they're interested in. And it's, it's, would be very surprising to a lot of people too. I mean, the other the other one which I have written about in the memoirs that I started writing was a little anecdote about Diamanda Glass in her um, New York apartment listening to Doris Day. Mm. And um, if I've told people that story, they they 
they're not so sure if I'm telling the truth. Mm. I mean, but that just sounds kind of really normal, you know. (laughs) To me, to me, it's sort of normal. Well, actually, it was a little bit abnormal because I've on on first my first response to listening to Doris Day's music would be, no way, yeah, (laughs) totally saccharine, (laughs) da 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 da. But and I think I actually said to Diamanda, I said. You're listening to Dean. I said, "What? Well, you're listening to Doris Day?" And you know, I was a bit like, she "Said, yeah, she's got." She just said, "She's got the most pure voice that you mm. can listen to." So mm. she was listening to her. She just found her voice technically really interesting and stuff like that. So you know, there's all sorts of reasons that people listen to music. Definitely, and I think I think sometimes people are really influenced by things, but just through the way that they play, it doesn't you would never know it. You know, it comes out as something else as well. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, like, now, I mean, where where do you feel with with the album now? Like, you know, you're playing live now. You know, you've got to... Yeah, look, it's... uh, it's, um, it's, uh, Yeah, I'm not quite sure where all that sits. We're just kind of... um, Mm. Because we're doing these shows with JP and sometimes with others, so... We're sort of in there play, presenting some of the stuff from the album in that show, and we don't have the strings with us and stuff. But it sounds really nice because there is a cellist and there are, you know, there's good atmosphere there. But it's a um, when we come around to kind of making our own show, uh, which we will be doing a bit later in the year in Australia and stuff, we'll have to figure out what we're doing and, um, you know. We're sort of in this review type mode, and there's mm. other things going on. So um, there's a bit of a deflection and distraction from uh, us having to present the thing mm. in its entirety or in its full yeah. form or something. So it, it feels weird. It feels um, tra- transitional. I'm not quite yeah. sure, and we'll, we'll, and we'll it, work it out. And it's been funny because the, the album is not even out and we have played so many shows and we all, obviously we already know the songs, but people, mo- most of them don't know the songs. Mm. So this tour in UK is the first one where the album will be out and people will have access to the songs before mm. or after the show. Mm. You know, So it, it's strange because for me, it's like, oh yeah, these songs, we have already played them, but it's like the first time with, oh, okay, people will actually know the songs or something like that. So yeah, it, it's been a bit strange to play them before the album is out, but it's also been really helpful because for me that I have, I don't have as much experience playing live. Mm. It was really like a training mm. <laughs> and just to getting in shape. And I never played with musicians. Like for me, it was really difficult to, to with the volume of the drums and everything because my voice, you know, it's not very strong. Mm. So I had to loud. Yeah, it's yeah, not that, loud. It's not just, not that yeah, loud. well. Not, not that loud so um i had to adapt and, and train a bit and now i feel more confident with it and I, I feel better to be in this shape now that the album is going to be out so, and i feel more connected to it and everything it, mm. you know so yeah something like that <laughs> so it sort of yeah, stands that now is going to bring the album a new a second lease of life as well like you've yeah. had the, the kind of recording on it now it's like playing it live well working yeah well, it would be interesting i mean just to having to be i've just been thinking the last uh week or so you know how we're going to play these shows in australia and what sort of 
collection of musicians we're going to put together and will we get a string quartet and what are we going to do? So, um, and how can we do it in different ways? Because sometimes it's not practical just to get a, you know, get that sort of group of musicians in everywhere or you don't mm. have time to rehearse them and so you're just travelling around then suddenly. So we have to be able to be adaptable. So um, I have to work out a few things about that. Obviously we could do the show if we had a, the few musicians we needed and the string mm. quartet. We could just put, we, we did that in Australia last mm. year basically. We did some shows like that. Um, where we played, how many songs were we playing from the album? Six or seven or something? Six or seven. Yes, from six and to And we can do that. No. We could do that. But um, you can't do that everywhere and all the time. So we'll have to find some, uh, you know, some acoustic versions and weird mm. stuff like that. Yeah. And what would you say, you know, if there was one thing that you could take away from the experience so far that you feel that you've learnt from each other? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one so one thing, a, just yeah. one thing. Uh, well, you can say a few, a few. I'm okay. not being strict. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> um, well, I think it's just that uh, that you continue having new experiences. Things keep changing, and you keep having. And it's really good to remain open to those and not become closed off and just, you know, compartmentalized in what you allow to happen. And, you know, I think a lot of people, the more successful or whatever they become, they they do become, they, they wouldn't do what I did and accept mm. the offer to do the thing with Amanda and go down that path. And, you know, those, those kind of decisions can bring uh, success and failure. And, mm. But, you know, I, I think I'm really glad that I'm just still open to doing those kinds of things and taking the kind of risks that I take. Mm. And um, and this is this one was a very successful risk so far. So, I mean, That's certainly amazing. in terms of the, the the end product of the album, I think it's a successful risk. So. Yeah. And do you think there's something about, like, taking risks keeps you young? I don't know if that's just like some bullshit I've just made up, but I always think of How someone am I looking? like John. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortune favours the brave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, I don't know if you follow the cricket, but that's, that's you know, the English. <laughs> I My dad does. Um, oh, okay. um, well, then we won't talk about it because yeah. Amanda doesn't understand it. So no, um, yeah. were you going to say there's one thing, if there's one thing you could take away? Did you have one thing, Amanda? Yeah, well, I obviously learned a lot from him that mm. I cannot even name half of the things right now. But uh, I think the main thing was that, uh, you know, when you are young and you want to do something, sometimes you feel like you're not good enough to mm. do them. And I think Mick helped me understand that the most important thing is the idea and be faithful to your idea and be brave to pursue that, pursue it because, you know, it doesn't matter if you have like the most technically incredible boys as long as you have you know you make something meaningful that will actually touch people and you know and that you can you you can create something amazing with someone if there's good communication and respect and that's the most important thing you know mm -hmm. to to have your concept and follow it and to enjoy things and not be really that stressed about the result and just yeah something like that <laughs> 
That's uh, lovely. That's so. I think um, I was reading Rick Rubin's book recently, and it's quite mm-hmm. woo woo. But it's there's um, <laughs> he does talk a lot about like how 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 important it is to sort of service the idea before anything else. Yeah, yeah. Really. I think I've heard him saying something along those lines. He was talking about uh, there was there's some series of interviews with him or something. Mm-hmm. Is there or maybe it was um what's his name Theroux um did, oh Louis did Louis Theroux Louis yeah. Theroux did something mm-hmm. with him. And I saw a bit of that, and he was talking about that sort of thing. And um, he's an interesting character, Rick Rubin. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because before I was working with him, I, I I always wanted to sing, but you know, there were people like if I would make an audition or something, that it's not what they're expecting, and that mm. kind of makes you feel a bit like you are not good enough, and that I, maybe mm. I shouldn't be doing this. But then it's like if you have the drive to do it and the passion to do it, you can. Especially yeah, if you find someone that it's like mentally like in the same place or with similar mm. ideas or maybe not similar ideas, but, you know, matching, like you can matching, work together yeah. and you can create something better like this than if you have all the best. Well, a lot of, yeah, I mean, I saw, um, actually, I saw a thing with, um, was it Peter Brotsman, uh, the, the jazz, free jazz saxophonist mm. who died not long ago? There was a really interesting interview I saw with him on Instagram, and he was just talking about how, you know, th- that, um, and he must have been pretty technically trained and so forth at some point in his career. And he was just talking about something, uh, I mean, I can't quote him because it was mm. just passed by on Instagram about uh, two months ago. And um, But he was just talking about how he's, you're always just searching for the next idea, really, and mm. then he, he he didn't even really rehearse or practice or anything. And once he had the idea, then he would do what he needed to do mm. to be able to realise that idea. And mm. that's, um, that's the important thing is the idea and the, and just then if that requires you to do something technically that stretches you, then you do that. Otherwise, you just you just stay in the zone and do what you need to do to realise the idea. And that's I suppose that's quite a, uh, you know, if you're coming out of the punk new wave thing, that was very much a, a kind of um, one of one of the things was, you know, uh, an, an anti, you know, you didn't have to be able to play well. Mm. You didn't have to be technically a great musician was just like about the energy and about mm-hmm. the excitement and the and, and and that sort of thing has really stayed with me i think i've been very uh i've never really wanted to be too technically proficient mm. and i've always felt that um uh the instruments that i want to play if i if there's something difficult that i have to do on them i can just sit down and practice till i can do it mm but I don't really ever practice my instruments. Right. It's just like I just play them. Yeah. And as I could really understand what he was saying. And I think with with singing voices, it's mm. a similar sort of thing. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure around, you know, whether people are good technical singers and stuff like that. But actually it's a lot more interesting if a person's got a characterful voice and has a, a um an interesting approach to delivering the singing. For me. Yeah, for me too. I think my my favourite singers have always been, apart from maybe some like classic soul singers, where you know it sure. is 
fantastic but the you know but generally uh quite often are people that kind of you know someone equally like amanda what you were saying about like you know your family and sort of like your friends rather yeah. when you know in, influence of that is like people that you know when i was at school people go that's not even music you know or just yeah. that sounds flat or you know it could be mm-hmm. going you know anything from like ian curtis onwards you know just not traditional singers yeah, yeah. Exactly. And this encouragement, kind of like mm. working with someone that you know understands this and encourage you, actually even makes you better than feeling the pressure that oh, I need to be better. If you are mm. just, if they let you be and let you do your thing, suddenly you start feeling more comfortable and finding ways to do it better. And I think you grow more if you're being encouraged to follow your ideas in the way they are instead of wanting more of them or something so that mm. that's what the, the thing that i enjoyed the most of working with him because i felt completely that, like my ideas and talent were valid without needing to be something else you know so oh, yeah that was really yeah. impactful support. i've worked with a lot of weird people you know <laughs> <laughs> i'm used to weirdos and their and their idiosyncratic kind of things <laughs> that they bring to the table i love that who would you but say no, was who could you say live on a podcast was the weirdest person you've worked with oh um jeez oh uh oh, there have probably been quite a few actually um, yeah uh, in terms of the, their approach to music or what they do musically um well blix is pretty weird mm. into in his approach to music i mean he's not he's he's weird as a musician he's not his approach mm. to music is very uh simple and direct actually um mm. uh but yeah, no, I've worked with some pretty weird people. I'd, I'd have, I'd have to think. If I thought, I'd have to think for a while, and I'd probably come back with some really interesting answers. <laughs> I, can, I, can. I mean, there's, yeah, there's been some strange, uh, strange bods along the way. Yeah, I, I've, I've never met Blixer, but I know Alexander Hako a little bit. Alex and... is, Alex is, yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a sweetheart, isn't he? Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, quite an enthusiast, and yeah. Mm. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you okay. so much, Stu. It was yeah, truly no, thanks enjoyable. For, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Have, have we met before? Um, we haven't. I don't think we. No. We, okay. Uh, okay. No. Oh, you just no, looked. I've, you started looking for me like someone that I've met. Before. I think I'm just a generic type, really. No, no, no. It's um, just, just I'm, I'm old. And right. Been, okay. <laughs> uh, once you've risen, you, you've seen all the faces, and they start, all start looking familiar. I know it's it's like everything's like <laughs> the beginning, beginning of an episode of Simpsons or something like that, where you know the same characters kind of come around and maybe get a little refit every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Anyway, no, but nice, nice talking to you, and uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for your interest in our in our crazy project. No, I love Thank it. You. Thanks so much for You're giving good. me your time today. I really appreciate yeah, it. No, no, no worries. Thanks. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. You, 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 clo- you can close it down. Yeah. Here we go. I'm Paul, closing Paul's it. Closing going. it down. He's good. shutting it out. Go. See ya. Oh, he just left. Oh, okay. it's still. Oh, bye. We better go too because it's still recording. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Okay, so that was me, Paul Hamford, talking with Mick Harvey and Amanda Asadivo for Lost and Sound podcast. And we had that conversation on July the 7th, 2023. The album that they've made together, Phantasmagoria in Blue, is available on Mute Records from the 1st of September. Yes, 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 yes. Audio tech... 
Audio Technica, yes, they're the people, they're the lovely people that have sponsored Lost and Sound. Audio Technica, a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, yet affordable products, because they believe that high-quality audio should be available to all. Uh, my book, Coming to Berlin, is available in all good bookshops and through the publisher of Velocity Press, and there's a link to my new Substack in the podcast description if you like a bit of a read check it out um yes thanks to thomas giddens for doing the music that you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode of lost and sound and but mostly mostly thanks to you yeah thanks so much for listening and i hope to see you soon